At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson. Republican nominee for Governor Daniel Cameron has made his decision for the running mate of Lieutenant Governor. That's Robbie Mills, state senator from Henderson. Mills is a fiscal and social conservative with a record of accomplishment in the state legislature. And joining us on the Matters program today is Senator Mills. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Richard. Glad to be here. Hey, uh, just full disclosure, uh, you have been a friend of mine um, for several years, and we've worked together on issues in the past, and also we're one of the founding board members of Commonwealth Policy Center. So wanted to clear that up right at the beginning. <laughs> yep. Um, thank you. I still for... claim you as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud, and I appreciate that. So let's start with this, Robbie. Were you surprised when you got the call from... General Cameron? Sure. Yeah, I was. Uh, to be honest with you, I, you know, I was kind of locked in on being a state senator. You know, policy stuff. Uh, we're in the middle of our interim session and planning on uh, what we're going to look at for 2024. And uh, when he called and I just thought, well, you know, this may be an opportunity. You uh, bring breadth, if you will, of experience. Um, you're a social conservative with a long record of accomplishments on social issues in the state legislature. You're a fiscal conservative. You've got some um, bread and butter fiscal issues that you have led the way in the state legislature. But not only your legislative experience, and we'll get, go into further detail there, you've got, you served eight terms in city government on the Sen- Henderson City Commission. You've run a small business, New Look Cleaners. It's a third generation family business. Now it's your kids who are taking it over, or your son that's taking it over. Mm-hmm. Um, so you bring this uh, breadth of experience, but also you are a man of faith. Your your faith shapes who you are and how you think through the issues. Mm-hmm. So were these some of the things that Attorney General uh, Daniel Cameron was looking for? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, probably one of the biggest things that he was looking for was uh, kind of a bridge between the executive branch and the legislative branch. And uh, there's been a history lately of... Uh, the executive branch not communicating with the legislative branch. And I think it hurts Kentucky as a whole when we have to tug a war in Frankfurt as opposed to us talking, compromising, and moving forward. You know, all these lawsuits and back and forth just not uh, the most efficient way to run our state government. I've talked to several of your colleagues, including those in leadership, who said that um, uh, they're saying it in more forceful terms, that there is no communication yeah. between the legislature and the governor's office. I mean, I can tell you that uh, I have not had a conversation with the governor uh, except for coming into a press conference and shaking my hand. Yeah. And, of course, you are a leader. You chair the um, state and local government committee I do. in yeah. the Senate yeah. where important bills go through. Uh which we'll go to that. Well, let's talk about some of your late legislative accomplishments. One of those bills that you'd shepherded through back during COVID, uh, it was 2020 or 2021. It was the bill that required voter ID at the polls. I remember um, actually being in committee uh, with you, listening to testimony and listening to the rationale for that. 
Bill, you were harshly criticized as trying to disenfranchise people from voting, maybe right. poor people that didn't have a driver's license right. or something like that. You did come to a workaround. We did. But there was a real need for voter IDs at the polls, wasn't there? There is. There is. I mean, it's, you know, to me, you show your license everywhere to prove who you are. And, you know, if you're buying ammunition, if you're buying, you know, if you're cashing a check at the bank, you know, you always have to show your ID. Why not do it when we're voting? I mean, it's a sacred privilege that we have as a citizen. Why it's it's not much skin off your nose to just say here, this is my ID. Uh, our we did do a workaround too for folks that do not have a driver's license that they can get a free uh, state ID card, and that was that was our compromise. Uh, there were other compromises too that we allowed a couple more different types of photo IDs as well. So. Uh, it's common sense, but I think uh, a liberal mind might say, you know, come up with all kinds of different excuses why they think it's, you know, not fair. But uh, I would say that now it's probably a 75% issue uh, statewide that people agree you should have to show an ID. And of course, that bill had bipartisan, bipartisan support in the House and Senate, and it passed handily. It did. Some of the other legislation that you've led the way on, uh, the ban on TikTok on state devices. This was because the Chinese government had access to this and they could misuse information of the users. Fairness in Women's Sports Act. You were the lead sponsor on Senate Bill 83 last year. Kept Mm -hmm. boys off of girls' sports teams. Pro-life legislation. You are pro-life. I am. And uh, you led on the Chemical Abortion Reporting Act um, just a few years ago. You were the lead sponsor there. Uh, As it is, uh, there are no abortion clinics open in Kentucky. And uh, the unborn are protected right. in, in law. Are. You know, it's interesting on that, on that, just how the abortion landscape has changed since that bill. You know, when we passed Senate Bill 50, 50 I think it's three years ago, it was like 30, 30% of abortions were chemical abortions. Now it's well over 70%. I mean, it's the main way that Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers are, and, and it's really sad that, you know, young ladies are, aborting their child at home by themselves. Back in Henderson, yep. um, your hometown, uh, there's an organization called Marsha's Place yes. that you have supported. You've been mm-hmm. involved with their banquets and yep. sponsored tables. My mom and wife have been on the board for over 30 years. ESG, that was a hot topic this last session. You led on a bill, uh, House Bill 236. Uh, it keeps state pension funds from being invested for ESG reasons, and it mandates that the investment decisions should be based on risk and rewards right. instead of ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance, right. which are um, progressive um, benchmarks. Right. And when it comes into investing, your concern was that when it comes to the state pension, they weren't prioritizing what is the best return. Right. ESG funds, which you know, a, a large majority of investment funds now have some ESG requirements in it. But it's proven that ESG funds do not perform at a rate that non-ESG funds perform at. You know, when we have a pension system that's struggling, when we're putting uh, you know billions of dollars a year into the pensions fund, we need to have our pensions uh, performing at the highest rate it, that they can. ESG funds are not those high rates. They take uh, a liberal ideology and apply it to... Uh, to the workings of these companies that they're investing in. And it's just, it's just not a prudent way to invest 
uh, our state pension funds. Robbie, you led the way with legislation that provided disaster relief funds after tornadoes devastated several communities in West Kentucky, some of those communities in your Senate district, yes. Senate District 4. Um, it it uh, provided that school aid will be used for repair damages to schools, um, such services as after-school programs, uh, mental health counseling, and transportation for displaced students. Part of your district is Dawson Springs. It is. That has been in the news. The disaster relief fund has been in the news because uh, Senator or Senator Treasurer Allison Ball found that there were checks going out um, to people that were not affected by the tornadoes or the flooding in eastern Kentucky. Uh, is this an issue of concern that this disaster relief fund, which was, by the way, it's just citizens who um, donated to this mm-hmm. fund, about $52 million yeah. were put into yeah. this fund, was that an issue of concern, or have you heard from constituents on that? Two different things on that. So the Western Kentucky SAFE funds are general fund dollars that we put out uh, for cities and counties, schools, to be able to use to rebuild their city. Uh, one of the things, one of the biggest things they used this money for was uh, debris removal pickup. Hopkins County had almost $10 million worth of, of expenses for just debris pickup. Those are actually a pickup, actually are, that is actually a bill that FEMA will pay for, but not for a year and a half. So, so they're left financing this huge dollar amount, and that's where we gave money to the counties and cities to pay that bill and kind of float them so they can continue on you know, operating their, you know, in their community. The second fund was the Teen Kentucky Fund, which uh, Andy Bashir actually raised money for, and it was private donations. Those are the funds that, in my opinion, you know, probably should have not been collected by state government. They probably should have allowed a nonprofit to collect those donated monies and allow a nonprofit to to disperse them for you know human needs. Uh, they gave, they came through some kind of FEMA mailing list that gave a thousand dollar check to, to a lot of people. And some of the people that received those checks didn't have damage. There's about 200. There's about 200 so far that we know of. Of course, a lot of people get a check like that and may just stick it right in the bank account. So there, I just, I think we could have done better on those funds. And I think if a nonprofit was uh, collecting them, it would have been uh, easier and, and more accountability there. Are you in favor of the um, audit, the uh, the state legislative investigative oversight committee asked Mike Harmon, state auditor, right. to audit that fund. Is that something you're in favor of? Absolutely. Um, I mean, ultimately, the General Assembly, uh, we are the appropriators of funds. And if, if it's coming into state government and it's being spent, we should have the ability to at least have some questions answered. Now, Andy Bashir is pushing back and saying that this is grossly political, that there's a conflict of interest since Mike Harmon ran in the GOP primary for governor, yeah. that he cannot be unbiased in this. How do you respond? Is this political? Is that a fair response at the governor's? I know Mike Harmon, he always says he's going to follow the data. I think he's going to follow the data on this. But the truth is, is that, you know, Andy Bashir has been out in uh, the tornado ravaged areas in eastern Kentucky in the flooding areas. And he has made those two uh, unfortunate uh, natural disasters political, too. So, Handing out checks regularly, Absolutely. of course. And that's the role of the governor. He, he wants to get the support from the governor. You right. want to have him bring in resources. But there is a fine line there somewhere, there isn't is. there? There is. Uh, 
So speaking of Andy Bashir, after you were announced as Daniel Cameron's running mate, uh, Governor Bashir slammed you uh, and Daniel Cameron. He said this, my opponent's first major campaign decision is to pick a lieutenant governor candidate who helped lead the charge to enact Matt Bevin's plan to slash pensions for our teachers, police, and firefighters. That couldn't be further from my values and the values of Kentuckians. So you were in favor. What he's referring to was the pension reform bill under Governor Matt Bevin's leadership. Um, Was the intention to slash pensions of educators, law enforcement officers, and other government employees? No, no. Just just the opposite. We were trying to save the pensions. I mean, when we came, the Republican supermajority came into uh, the legislature, we were handed a huge bill, $43 billion deficit in our pensions. Uh, we were faced with uh, trying to make some decisions and correct. And before I explain any more, just, you know, obviously, it was state the obvious. Uh, you know, Daniel Cameron's wife's a teacher. My niece is a teacher. My mother was a teacher. Uh, we are pro-teacher. We know the things that they are going through in the classroom, uh, how tough it is to teach these days. Uh, we are pro-teacher, and we want our teachers to uh, uh, to know that, as well as law enforcement. I mean, I think Daniel has uh, been over backwards to make sure that he is uh, talking with law enforcement agencies uh, and listening to them, and uh, we are pro-law enforcement. But uh, back on pensions, I mean, we we had to take three or four bites at the apple, and there was probably the first bite was a little aggressive, and the second bite kind of got us to where you know we needed to be. But ultimately, you know, this affected new employees coming in, not current employees. So that's one of the things that uh, opposition usually fails to say is that we did not take money from anyone or anyone's pension. The, these pension changes uh, affected new employees. Uh, we were actually able, you know, the last six years, like I said, over a billion dollars of contributions just to teachers' pensions, another billion per year to all the other pensions. So we are, that's our number one commitment uh, in the legislature is to pay our pension obligations. So uh, I'm happy where we ended up on pensions. We actually have been uh, com- uh, complimented by the Retired Teachers Association in the last two or three years saying thank you for saving our pensions. Now, you don't hear that news. I've not heard that You news don't hear before. that news, but it comes, it comes in a letter every year from the Retired Teachers Association, and they're, they're thanking us for the work that we did. So uh, I feel good about that and uh, how we're moving forward uh, on the pension. So you were involved with that, but you're saying that what the governor is charging with was not accurate. Um, many of the main uh, mainstream news outlets did not report that. Right. Uh, going back to your legislative record, though, many of these bills um, that you've led on um, have been caricatured by the far-left media as being anti-women. I think of pro-life legislation. That's interpreted as anti-women. Think of the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, which requires uh, you're trying to save women's sports. <laughs> yes. That's called uh, anti-trans is the uh. term. Senate Bill 150, you were very involved with that mm-hmm. battle, which uh, prevented, it kept minors from using hormones that would um, alter their um, body chemistry. It also prevented gender mutilation surgery. Um, you're cons- you were called uh, opposing gender-affirming care. 
So here's my question regarding your um, legislative history and issues you've dealt with and how the media portrays it. How do you overcome that where it doesn't even, it's not even starting the argument or the reporting in the center, but it's with a far left bias. How how do you address that? I think on these issues, on these culture issues, you just kind of start knowing that you're going to be, you know, misrepresented and you start behind the eight ball, I guess. And and uh, you just kind of mentally prepare yourself for that. But, you know, truthfully, outside the media, I get a lot of people that thank me privately, you know, via social media or whatever, saying thank you for standing up for our values. You know, we say the values that we're working for, faith, family, and community, or faith, family, and freedom. Those are the things that uh, that Kentuckians believe in, and uh, that's uh, what Cameron Mills administration is going to be working for. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at cpc for kentucky Let's talk about faith. Uh, Governor Andy Bashir um, often talks about God. He quotes scripture. He talks about his faith and how important it is to him. And yet you and he are on different sides of the political spectrum. Yeah. How? Why is that? Well, I mean, obviously we know that uh, there are Christians in on liberal and conservative side, but you know, my approach to my faith is really to uh, you know, show my faith in actions and not in words. I think uh, sometimes words can be hollow and empty if they're not followed by actions. And uh, I, so I like to let my actions speak uh, for for what I for what I believe. So what, people, what, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but what would be some examples of that? How are you letting your faith know be known by your actions? Well, I think by uh, by serving in the in the legislature. You know, we all folks that are in the legislature and in public service. You know, it is it, you know it is a call. There is a cost to uh, uh, to your family and to your time and all of that. Uh, but, you know, we feel called, I feel called to be in this place. You know, God tells us to be salt and light. And, uh, you know, the uh, other side definitely doesn't keep their opinions and their belief out of the public arena. And I think that calls is, the call is for us to bring our faith and our uh, uh, concerns to the public arena. And, you know, the public arena in Frankfurt is... Uh, is a is a big public arena and there's plenty of room for everybody, but uh, I I just feel called to be here and and talk about uh, values that I think are important. So let's talk. If I could dig into one of the highest profile bills um, across the country, not just in Kentucky, uh, but also one of the most controversial bills, and that was Senate Bill 150. Uh, again, uh, this banned. Um, what the left calls gender-affirming care, what the political right says are uh, hormone therapy and gender uh, interventions, surgical interventions of minors. Uh, it stops the uh, gender-preferred pronouns in schools. It requires school boards to have a bathroom policy that corresponds with biological sex. It um, gets rid of LGBT curriculum out of all of the schools. No gender ideology, no sexual orientation curriculum, and it requires parental permission as well. Now. Using this issue, uh, which did pass over Governor Bashir's veto, um, to to kind of 
push into faith a little bit, Robbie. Um, your faith, and I know this from private conversations we've had, compelled you to be in favor of this bill. Andy Bashir's faith said that, uh, no, I can't, I, I can't favor this um, because these are all God's children. We need to affirm those young people who identify with the opposite sex. How would you, um, how would you approach it at that? Again, I think both of you, what I'm getting at is I think both of you care about children. Mm-hmm. You're just approaching this from a, from a little different angle. And um, I, I think just to add to this, I think one of the, one of the troubling aspects of um, uh, dealing with difficult social issues today is that accusations fly fast and furious, that you're imposing your values or you really don't care or um, you're trying to hurt somebody. And in fact, this is what I'm looking at a statement from Lieutenant Governor Jackie Coleman, who says that this bill uh, is cruel and it is already marginalizing an already marginalized set of young people. That is government overreach. She's very, very critical. Um, but tell us, if you would, how your faith would speak to this issue of children who are gender dysphoric. I think the Republican majority's position on this is, you know, about the child. We do care about the child. Mm-hmm. And we think that uh, there are situations where what they're calling gender-affirming care, where it is a, a, an abusive situation, yeah. that uh, these drugs and surgeries are abusive. And uh, we do not believe that children should be uh, put through that. Uh, we, we believe that if, that is, if somebody chooses to do that, after they're 18 and they're, you know, quote unquote, an adult, then that's that's another thing. But uh, we're standing up for the child, and uh, I do not believe we're uh, imposing our values. We're we're looking at it from from a child from the child's as, as, aspect. Yeah. Uh, it is a tight, it is a narrow road here between parental rights and standing up for an abusive situation. But uh, we, I see this as abuse and. Uh, we need. We don't want it to happen in Kentucky. I think that this is one of those things where the state already is intervening in saying that parental rights have limits. So that is a big issue. The status, by the way, is that a judge, a district court judge David Hale, has uh, uh, stopped his stay. There was a stay he put on Senate Bill 150, and because of the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court ruling. Um, he lifted that stay, and Senate Bill 150 is in full in effect full yeah. right now. However, there are school boards across the state that are considering not implementing Senate Bill 150. Uh, is this something you've given thought of? Actually, Covington, uh, Lexington, and Jefferson County Public School boards are considering not implementing right. um, the full right. bill. Yes. Uh, I mean, Senate Bill 150 was so massive, and the, controver- the even most controversial part of it, we're, we're missing out on some of the really good stuff that was inside of 150 that has to do with parental rights, has to make sure that parents get notification, get, puts in a, a procedure uh, that, you know, if they want to challenge some materials and books, uh, that was in a bill that we passed as well. So that, you know, there are some very good things that happen in 150 that gives parents a, a, an equal standing in knowing about where what's going on in their children's education much more than they had last year. So I'm uh, very happy overall with uh, Senate Bill 150. It probably would have been easier for the public to understand if it would have been in a couple of different bills, but uh, it, it all ended up the way it ended up passing 
was all together right at the end of the session. Sure. What is it, Robbie, that you, um, in a broad sense, um, we talked about your diversity, but what do you bring to the ticket besides your diverse background of uh, local government experience, state legislative experience, business background, involved with your church and your in the faith community? What else do you bring, um, particularly that's missing, that you see missing in the Bashir administration? I mean, I think that I've you know, even though I've been a legislator and been on the city council, I, uh, you know, bring real world experience. I feel like that I, you know, when I, being a businessman, I understand what it takes to meet a payroll and all the things that folks struggle, struggle with. But once again, I think the biggest thing missing in the Bashir administration versus what we would have in Cameron Mills administration is communication with the legislature. We will not operate <clears throat> in a silo. We will be asking and collaborating and make and compromising to where we can work along with the legislature. I think people want to see that, and I think we'll have better legislation. Ultimately, it'll be better for Kentucky. Is that a role that you would play as a liaison between of the executive branch and the legislative branch? Absolutely. The lieutenant governor really doesn't have a lot of written uh, responsibilities. The job is, you know, to assist the governor and to do special projects, whatever the governor would like us to do. But, uh, you know, Daniel has told me specifically that's what he wants me to focus on. And the first week of the campaign, I've been asking legislators, what do we need to do uh, to make Kentucky better? And been com- trying to communicate and open up lines with everyone. One thing I neglected to say is that part of your uh, fourth Senate district contains coal production. It does. And that's a big issue uh, for Kentucky. How does that play in the governor's race? Well, I think, you know, the energy independence issue is is a huge issue. We could have a whole segment on that as, you know, in itself. I think we're barreling toward uh, blackouts and brownouts as on a regular in occasion. Kentucky. We have 300 years of coal underneath our feet. And because of some, you know, environmental uh, ideology that is pulling us away from coal and wanting us to reach unattainable uh, scrubbing limits on coal and gas, and encouraging executives uh, and and utility companies to switch off of fossil fuel uh, and go to renewables. We're going to have a major problem. The problem is we're you know here's an example. We've shut down eleven fossil fuel plants units in Kentucky in the last three years. We've only replaced two. So I mean we are relying on the grid, quote unquote, the grid. And the grid is running out of power, and it it will affect every aspect of our life and lifestyle in Kentucky in the next fifteen years. Uh, if we can act and we can keep, we can do what we can to keep coal-fired generation going uh, stable and make it re- more reliable. If we act and have some help from the federal government, Robbie, we are out of time. Do you have thirty seconds to tell the voters about why they should vote for the Cameron Mills ticket? I'm excited about Daniel Cameron. I think he uh, brings some optimism to the state of Kentucky that's so desperately needed. I think Daniel has worked hard in the attorney general's office. He's made hard decisions. He's done what he thinks is right. I'm just really proud of the work that he's done. He's backed up the legislature's work. He's been very busy in court uh, pushing back on Biden uh, regulations. All those things have prepared him for the tough decisions that lie ahead for him in the governor's office. 